You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome again to the Monster Sci-Fi Show. I am your host, the Monster, back to give you part two of our Doom Book Club series. But really, this is the first of three podcasts in which we're doing each book separately. So for Doom, part one is actually called Doom. So this portion, we're going to be only talking about Doom, part one. Which is called Dune. <laughs> I don't know how many times I can say Dune in this podcast because this is a Dune podcast. But we're going to introduce this Dune podcast to you. So the first person speaking right now in this Dune podcast is going to be Mr. Gene. Take it away, Mr. Gene. I would like to say I thought it was really funny that we saw the scene where he's introduced to Duke and whatever the Trades guy, whatever that. his 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 trainers, his friends, they come in and and Monty told this story about how years ago I came to a break room and he had his head down and I, he was sleeping and I didn't want to disturb him. I came and I drank some water and he said, hey, Gene, without looking up. And I was like, how did you know it was me? And he quoted Dune at the time. And then years <laughs> later, he got to give me the context of the quote. And I was like, oh, that's hysterical. That's because I understood it. Because he, the way he walked... I understood his footprints. I knew how his patterns would be. Oh walking. my god! So, Monty's got yeah the training. He's, he's got nerd. Yeah, he's having. I got nerd the game. weird thing. Yeah, he's it, got the training. <laughs> but it was funny because like those things can be duplicated. Ah, I know the difference. I'm like, oh, that's funny, Monty. That's okay. <laughs> All right. So on that note, let's get started because uh, we got a lot to get through, and hopefully we won't get too bored. But uh, we'll try to make this fun. So welcome, everyone, to our first, finally, our Dune Book Club, part one, which is called Dune. Um, so I have a PowerPoint presentation to show you guys. So we have with us, as our host, we have Heather, Dancing Queen in the Sahara. I don't know. I'm going to raise the roof, too. Then we have Rebecca. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Not there, at home. Yeah. And uh, and me, Montgomery. So who is with us today? I'm Gene. Hi. Friend of Bautis. Otherwise known as Mr. Gene. If you listen to our podcast, if we become friends. No worries. (laughs) Oh, there is Joe. (laughs) In his car with his unstable camera. Is he going to be in his car again? (laughs) Please be in the car again. I don't know. You look at this frame, and when it moves around, you're kind of nauseous a little. It's, it's all right. There's Joe in the car. Joe. Yes. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello. <laughs> all right. Um, we do have a couple other coworkers for Heather. They're watching also. And Susan. followers. Yeah. yeah. More Fremen. <laughs> We have to wait till those teachers wake up. <laughs> so, you know, we got a pretty good craft for today. 
So today we have plans within plans. Uh, okay. Ugh, I can hear it already, Gene. We have some new news, some toys to talk about. Um, I got actually a hold of the actual Dune graphic uh, novel, or the, the adaptation as a PDF. So each meeting will do one of the different parts of the book. So it's only three issues. So with three meetings, we should be able to cover that easily. Um, then we'll go into our Dune discussion, which is going to be the bulk of our stuff. And then we're going to end it with some more Dune memes. So that's going to be our plan. Always fun. AK, Always the best fun. part. All right. So starting off, we have, as we all know, that the movie that was supposed to happen <laughs> on the 18th has been pushed back or pushed forward. Yeah, pushed forward uh, to next year. But the official date is now October 1st oh, for no. 2021. Mm. We'll see if that still happens because, you know, even though the vaccines are coming, we still don't know if there's going to be enough confidence for uh, people to go back into the movies, let alone, you know. And this needs a big theatrical release. So it, it can't just be on the man on your tiny TV. It has to be... Yeah. Big so and we will be patient broken into two parts so you know if we thought you know just book one of reading it is is a lot i'm trying to imagine trying to encapsulate that into two movies it's still a lot to put into but uh yeah it really needs to be on the big screen so on the on the upside like paul's gonna age up by the time they film the, the second <laughs> Not so like that time back. jump in the Doom movie, like two years later, and like, what? What the hell happened to two years later? Yeah, that ticked me off a little bit. I was yeah, so it's all about accuracy. If you really like, think wait, about we did this in Fan Four Stick, it didn't work well for them. So yeah. just uh, don't yeah. remind me of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then lastly, our Dune graphic novel for book one is coming out next Tuesday. So, um, Unfortunately, I don't have anything that I can show you guys. Maybe for the next one, I can go a couple of stills from there. But that, again, was supposed to happen before the movie coming out in December. Perfect segue. And I, nope. So we'll see what happens with that book. Next, we have... All right. So Gene and I, about a week or two ago, went out to Target like we normally would do. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> looking for toys. It's a pandemic. What do you want? So, this actually was in Target. The the Baron Harkonnen, it is huge. Like, it's a foot tall. And it's heavy. And that's for $40. And I'm like... 40 $40 just for one figure. Mm. And, and here's, you know, Lady Jessica, right? And we have the Build-A-Figure... So you can see here is the beast Raban's head. <laughs> but when I look at it, I'm like, it's not to scale. So I'm like, why am I buying a larger figure with all the other regular action figures when it's not to scale? Like, not that I want to play with my toys, but if I'm playing <laughs> with my toys, but if I'm I did, sure that they're all the exact same yeah. toys and not like, you know, it, it's not dwarfing them. But granted, Harkonnen, Baron Harkonnen is, you know, the big floating fat man, but that's really excessive. But the good news is that, well, sort of, I have placed an order for these figures, for uh, the Lady Jessica figure and Stilgar and 
um, Paul and Duncan. They were supposed to be in the mail early November. Walmart delayed it, so I'm going to get it early December. So if I get it in December, I'll do an unboxing video during our book club. So that'll be kind of cool to look at. All right. So real quick, we don't have to go through the details because literally this is more about... That sure is the movie. It's the movie. Literally, it's the movie, but in comic form. And there's the two moons. But Can you I know, just it, immediately complain about hey, that? Hey, there's character. a hand. Yay. Which, when I watched this, I got, oh, my God, I yeah. didn't notice that there was a hand <laughs> here <laughs> in the moon. For years. <laughs> For years. And I'm like, how could I have not never seen this? And there was a hand, and then the mouse was in the other one. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, oh, and I think that that was a uh, pencil or drawn by uh, Bill from Cabbage. Yeah, <laughs> at least the so, cover I know that Princess Erlon in the beginning. You know, it's hard to do the whole speech and then like fade out and fade in. I'm like, well, this. Oh yes, do- I almost forgot. By the way, <laughs> so Oops. it's not bad. It it's literally you know almost a shot for shot. Portrayal of what happens in the movie. The special effects for the shield look better in the comic, is all I'm going to say. I mean, there's Patrick Stewart. So, I mean, you talk to me. Bald Glory. Dean Stockwell. Yeah. So, you know, it it does what it needed to do at that time, is give you a version of that movie that if you didn't see it, well, you can kind of have it. I don't know. Yeah, like, for the people who, maybe their parents were like, the movies, no. But you can read. Right, you can have the comic version. <laughs> I'm sorry, though. This story was very confusing. Again, I, I thank Monty and Joe for watching with me the first time. But I want applause for going back to it we the second time on my own, alone, yourself. with a notepad. It's like, okay, here we go. We weren't going to quiz you, Eugene, I promise. No, no. Uh, maybe we should. <laughs> no. oh. I spent hours going over this book this week, towards the yeah. end of this week. Hours listening to it on books on CD because I want to get the, the pronunciations of these weird names and things correct yeah Uh, even then i still have problems um trying to stay focused i mentioned earlier that i had to finish the last five hours with the audiobook and the actual book to kind of keep me focused to kind of get caught up uh for today's discussion but it 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 was a a struggle for me even Mm -hmm. though i read this many times um, I, I'm glad I used the audiobook because there was more things that I discovered, much like the hand in the moon. Um, little moments, little nuanced moments that I found really interesting to, to discuss, and we'll get to that point. So from this point, um, Rebecca, you want to do the presentation? Or Heather, do you have that? Uh, I have the PowerPoint. Yes. Let's but this is mostly, yeah, this is mostly just a guide. Um, Based on like Heather had drafted up her own little like discussion questions based on the entire book, really. Um, 
because I, d- I wasn't sure how we were going to break this down. Yeah. But yeah. I so I tried, I tried to isolate what I thought were like among the most important or stuff that like stood out personally to me. Yeah. So to me, um, I think I mentioned this in the last meeting, I'm like very character driven or like I, I notice themes, actual plot is um, something that like I experience without necessarily keeping it at the forefront on my mind. Um, and I'll say this before I begin that um, I actually feel like the plot of Dune going back to it is, is fairly simple. And I was watching a reviewer who like did like a, <laughs> I like a really quick breakdown of the the main plot and then so he could like do an analysis of the adaptation but when he was like talking about the main like plot he's like I'm going to leave a lot out but the the basic story is still pretty simple like Paul is still a young man who comes into a lot of power it's a very chosen one narrative and at, like at the heart of it he's trying to like avenge his father and carry on the legacy given to him by his mother Mm-hmm. So the actual plot is simple. Um, so what I what I suggest for everyone who's like coming into Dune is, well, what do you care about the most? Do you care about the world building? It's got nuance for that. Do you care about character? It has nuance for that. So a lot of my discussion questions are what I care about, which is um, like who Paul is as a person, who Jessica is. Is she a powerful figure or is she kind of just falling yeah, just thrown into these, these like, because she doesn't really have a choice on her abilities. Like the, the Bene Gesserit kind of bred right. for thousands of years with an end goal in mind. But within the individual, um, there's not a whole lot that they can do to deviate. And Jessica is the one person who deviates from it. Like this is stuff, the, the whole basic plot of the, the story is stuff that they've been planning for like a millennia, which is why they... And I can't remember if they revealed this in the first part, but, but that's why they plant seeds. I think they said they, they've been manipulating the, the, the generational, the, the, the bloodline for generations. Yeah, and she was supposed yeah. to bear a daughter, but like that, that comes in later. So immediately. Generations, right, okay. Yeah, so immediately, like my, I, I, I thought we should start at the very beginning, which is um, because this scene like Her really stood out to me. It's a very delicate time. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. This like this was the one scene that like really stood out to me when I was a kid, like when my mom was reading the book to me, um, which not that we finished the whole thing because that that was a lot to tackle back then. But when we when we first started and he's he has a test of his humanity. um, I remember I think I was too young for it at the time, but um, I remember like thinking, well, what how is this testing his humanity like pain is a human it's like it's a human thing it's a human experience like i don't understand why he can't why he's not allowed to like retrieve his hand um but then and then reading back on it like when you first read dune and you're a kid you think 15 is like super old because it's so far from your current perspective you're like yeah at 15 i'm gonna i'm gonna be able to rule planets too Um, when did you start reading this book i like when my mom first read it off on dune (laughs) How old were you? Maybe younger. <laughs> yeah, you must have grown up on Dune. Yeah, I did. Uh, cool. So, in fairness, Caladan first, then. <laughs> yes, my my meaning is like I don't think you can appreciate Paul until you see him on Caladan as just this average person. You're not going to identify with his character and see yourself through his storyline or through the importance of like seeing Lady Jessica and seeing some of the traits that she has and appreciating them and just like 
you know, feeling like, oh, I value this in a character I want to continue reading mm-hmm. without that level of like seeing him go through these changes. If he was just already great, already grand, already like a demigod, would you care about him? Yeah. And, and I think that's that's part of what I, I want to bring up with this first question of what was your immediate impression of Paul, given how he responded to the, the Reverend Mother's test? Um, one well, is like when you're reading it again or when you're reading it for the first time as someone who's older, you're being reminded, even by the way that the Reverend Mother speaks of him, he's like, he's only 15. He's very small for his age. Um, he's like insolent. He's arrogant. He's just a teenager. And when he puts his hand in and he describes the level of pain, he feels like the skin is melting off. It's like the very first instigate like the very first instance you get of really getting to know who he is at a low point um because like experiencing that level of pain is surely a low point for anyone but he he goes through it to the point that like even jessica is amazed that he managed to survive it um so if you have any Um, thoughts you want to throw in you want to launch the powerpoint yeah am i not sharing it no coming up we see like we see like a part just like it's at the very top. It's got the little play button on the screen. Just huh, it's playing for me. We're not seeing it. We're just seeing like like. Beginning. Mm, let me see. Let me do resume share. You might have to stop sharing, Monty, because I'm still seeing yours. Maybe, maybe that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, because I was like, I'm not quite seeing the discussion questions yet, and I know that you did it. Yeah. I was like, let's see your thing. Mine says my screen is sharing. I, mine says I'm viewing Monty's screen. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Now, now share I'm again. You <laughs> it'll let you. But I think Post that... Disable participant screen sharing. Isn't Monty. the scene written that like... Back at the host so that share. Hold on, hold on. Okay. Rebecca, try, try again. How's that? Uh, there we go. go. Okay, there we go. All right, there we go. So All that's right. my first question, if anyone wants to jump oh. in. Well, well, hold on. Do you want to mention something first? Or? No, I thought I thought that, that, that when, during the test, uh, when he puts his hand in the box, it's written that, that, that she's testing uh, whether he, Paul is animal or human. Because mm-hmm. the animal would react instinctively or something, but the human would be able to overthink or, or control more of himself than and be more rational. I thought that's what yeah. I got out of it. I mean, he, she, uh, Herbert does address that. I think in his writings about that, the difference between animal and human. But uh, that's all I, I wanted to say about that. Basically, yeah, I agree with the the conclusion that a human should be able to like talk himself out of his instinct. Right, essentially. Yeah. I mean, all right, that makes sense. I've seen that before. That makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, I like the litany of fear that he, like, memorizes that that's always been, like, an important thing, like, a nostalgic thing in my heart, because, like, the litany of fear, I feel like it's very meditative. I, you know, I will not fear. Fear, right. is, the- fear is the mind killer thing, the whole... Over me. I will remain. Um, but, yeah, no, I feel like it was a very important test, and if do we see anything like this in our day-to-day lives? Do you think anybody could benefit from some tests like this? Which is my second question, if you want to launch off into it. Yeah, like, um, like, do you feel like a politician should be 
you know, put in a position where it's like, okay. Well, that's if they're human. The box. That's if they're human. I would love to watch. Which is sometimes up to debate. <laughs> I would pay for cable just for that. Well, I would say, like, this was how I phrased the question because it's my immediate thought when I was, like, reading the book and watching the movie, which is that, no, I would not pass it because I cannot, I cannot talk myself out of pain, um, like, even in the moment. But I, but I, like, I want to, I feel like there are psychological studies of, like, how your brain can adapt and prepare itself for pain and, like, to some extent, even anticipation can be registered as a more painful experience than like the actual like the actual pain that you'll you'll live through so if you're well prepared for it i don't like maybe maybe it is manageable like if in the moment if you can talk yourself and don't know this is going to pass this is going to pass this is going to pass um especially with the threat of death right there yeah that's the thing you the pass so you die so yeah the alternatives uh, both of them are bad (laughs) and is it possible One of them just ends. I think I'd be okay with it if I knew, like, my hand wasn't actually, like, going through, like, a, you know, dishwasher, and you're like, oh, no, don't stick your hand down there while the dishwasher's on. If I knew I would, like, get my hand back in the end and it would be intact and look like my hand before it went in, I think I'd be okay. I think I could talk myself into going through with it and being like, yeah, I am that level of boss lady. (laughs) I can do it. (laughs) <laughs> now, now the story opens though i mean paul goes to this test and he's one of the only males because again the betty jesuits generally only have daughters but he's mm-hmm. the only male i think uh, in generations but well, no male has ever passed this test yeah he goes I through that to well to clarify isn't it the water of life that no man has passed not okay. the that is, that is right. I, don't, I don't actually know i don't remember because I think because uh, he has yeah. Oh, for gun for the for this test, the Gamjabar test. It's uh, just no. that there's never okay. been a male yeah. offspring. Yeah. Right. That's the thing. But he's the right. first one to do it. Then mm-hmm. he's the first male offspring. Yeah. yeah. Do you so, think Paul knows that he's going? Like, do you think he knows it once he passes the test that he'll like gain, you know, memories from his ancestry? Or do you think that's what Benny Jesuits did? And, and sure, mom, I'll do what you say. No, no, no. That would, be after, that would be after the waters of life. With with the test, I'm thinking that it's more like, okay, let's see if you're actually able. Or with the test of humanity, she's also testing the training that uh, Jessica's given him, whether it's yeah. sufficient to to provide him the ability to be able to do all these other things. In other words, are you worthy of it? This is your test now. Ooh, I like that insight. At least that's how I always saw it. And then it's like, and and then she says, what you call it? That's another test that we should give all humans, whether you can be alone. Because they're going, how many people do you know who will be able to pass this test? Mm-hmm. Because most of us would be like, ah, let me rip my hand off and you're dead. Okay. Yeah, we don't have to, so, to know that you shouldn't probably put your hand on the stovetop. Um, but Paul was right, also but, trained for this test. Um, without yeah. knowing that there like would he, be a test. Not directly, I would say. Because um, I, yeah. I don't think he knew what was going on when it was presented. I don't think so either. But he was taught to like endure pain and that mental fortitude is can overcome anything. So, right. oh, go ahead, Monty. I think you want no, to say something. Um, but like to Joe's point and what you're saying is that because, and it's not in the first part of the book, but later on you see this, is that when he does The Water of Life, 
he does endure a great deal of pain. So if anything, that's like a foreshadowing of what he's going to be dealing with later on. So that's the kind of thing, like, your hero is going to be tested. So that's this is the beginning of your road of being challenged all the way through until the very last thing you do. So be prepared for a lot of stuff along the way to kind of change you to get to that point. So this is more like, oh, he can do this. So let's keep on pushing that. You know, he's ready. Out of curiosity, has anyone here seen Westworld? I have. You have? Because, and I saw the first season a long time ago, but like this talk is is reminding me of um, how they, like, I think the the theme of the, the first season is a lot about like, well, it's, to suffer is to be human. Like, right. through suffering, you find Aww. humanity. Um, and then since power is, like, such a big theme of Dune, it's not just, like, to suffer is to be human, but it's how you Dune. overcome it. Yeah, the power you bring to overcome that suffering um, is more than human, I would even say. Because in, in the end, like, the, the power that, like, that Paul has is born from that from that struggle and like how he responds to it how he like molds to it yeah Yeah. it's a good connection rebecca it's nice (laughs) yeah that was pretty awesome rebecca but i was gonna mention something else that i always thought but but that's a good point i always thought it felt like okay here's the threshold he's just passed it now we continue on with uh the cycle Mm -hmm. in other words the hero cycle from campbell i'm going okay here's the beginning point here's where he goes out of the realm of what he knows. This is the first mystery he has to go through in order to become who he becomes. Yeah, and that's... So, I'm like, yeah. Uh, but there's no way he can prepare sorry. for this test. It's just simply what he's learned, cumulatively. Exactly. You know, I, it's just like, it, it's a random test. Because he had, like, the mental fortitude because he was being trained to be a mentat and he had all of his, like, father's men helping him out and giving him insight i feel like if you were to put like some random 15 year old who wasn't taught anything he would he wouldn't would, even put his hand in the box no they would be like what's in the box and they'd Somebody be like, arrest this lady no but but she's with the voice soap. on him he has to do it in my box um and then i i think we mentioned this earlier um Paul begins the story as a 15-year-old boy in adaptations he is portrayed by older actors. Why do you think the film versions alter this aspect of the novel? How does the difference change the character? Um, and I think originally when Heather wrote this, she was thinking specifically about both the like the, the first, the David Lynch movie, and um, I'm sorry if I say Fincher, by the way, the David Lynch movie and um, the adaptation. Yeah, the TV show adaptation, um, because I think they did go out of their way to pick um, Timothy. I, I can't pronounce his last name. I'll be back, kids. I'm sorry. I have to, my nurse is here. I'm sorry. I'll be right back. Let's go ahead and mute yourself. Thank you. Um, I, I think they did pick him because he looks young, like the actor's in his 20s, but he's not a traditional, like... He doesn't look older. Yeah, he doesn't look like a 25, 28-year-old, the way that Kyle McLaughlin looks in the, the original movie. But... um if you have any insight on like part of it, I guess it's just like the nature of film, especially a a movie that's going to be two, three hours long. You can't really have a child actor or an underage actor on set for that long. Um, They did home alone very well. I still (laughs) watch it to this day. 
I feel like part of it is because you're dealing with such like different themes of like, there is definitely a lot more angst and not just angst, but like, I feel like we have a hard time envisioning like a very young person being able to accomplish all of this and seeing them in this way of becoming, you know, very powerful. So I feel like, I think they did that so that it didn't just translate as like a, ch- a movie for children or a show for children. And they were, because, you know, things happen in Dune. Um, and I feel like it was trying to expand the audience because I feel like a lot of people are going to be watching it. And when we first read Dune, we might have been 15 year olds, but it grew with us. And so when we're watching it, we're watching it as adults and we don't want to watch like a, a movie for our kids. We want to watch a movie for us. So I feel like it's the like the view of the audience. And I think that's why they might have changed like the age of the actors. We also see this in Game of Thrones. Like if you've read the books, everybody's mm-hmm. like super young. And then we, we see the, 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 the film adaptation of like the TV show and everybody is significantly older. We still see them age throughout the TV show, but it's, it's, yeah, it's but, like it's trying to get a different audience. But I think but, even with Game of Thrones, like the, the changes were done because like, like in the book, someone like Arya or Bran are like seven or nine years old and you can't realistically ask a seven-year-old child actor to do as much of the heavy lifting as like they, they ask the 11, 12-year-old actors. Um, Did you you know, see the bear girl? What was her name? No, even her, she's 12. She's 12. Yeah, that actress is 12. Like that, there's there's a huge 12. jump in maturity from seven-year-old to 12. She doesn't look 12. Well, she's 12, though. Um, like, I can't remember. She, she's 12. Um, but, she's 12. Uh, she's just 12. Because I'm pretty sure they say they say the same line from the book as a girl of 12. Um, I'm getting on a tangent, though. But I think I think part of it with, like, the 70s movie is um, I don't know if maybe they felt like, yeah, like some of the scenes or, like, the, like it wouldn't be taken as seriously if you didn't have someone like of that like who was mature who was an adult um like in even in the 70s would it have been marketed as like like were they afraid they were going to get marketed as a teen movie if they if they didn't have uh kyle mclaughlin as the lead well in in fairness not that everyone knows this but you know the early write-up for the book club made it sound like it's a teenage you know (laughs) that's fair angsty book it is for an audience that is really not meant i mean i I think a teen who is really into science fiction would get into this but not because they're into like the twilight where you have you know you don't have that issue this is not that kind of book um yeah doing it that way yeah, and like, but YA didn't really exist in the seventies. I'll, right. I'll I'll give this the initial like marketing that we did. Yeah, the initial marketing that like the the county did for for this book club specifically. Um, it's like it's influenced by how like the sci-fi genre and like pop culture has changed over the last few years. Mm-hmm. So within the last couple of years, like the young adult market has been like, oh, you have a protagonist between the ages of fourteen and eighteen. You're a teen book. Yeah, like, no matter what. So, but then you look at because 
talking about Paul's age kind of reminds me of Ender's Game, where Ender's like seven or six when that book begins, and he's a child. Children's. He's he's a child, I think, for like the entire first novel. And like, is that a is that a children's book? No, of course not. Um, could you have published something like that with the protagonist that young in the modern era? It'd be a lot more difficult. I feel like publishers would have been like, you need to age this character up. So you're going to confuse people. Yeah. So even with Paul, it would have been in an adult book. That's mm-hmm. not. It doesn't exist. Uh, this came up uh, kind of along that point. Again, going up on a tangent here, Anakin Skywalker as a young child in the first Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. When George Lucas was planning to do this, there are people in his inner circle saying, you can't do this. You're going to ruin Star Wars forever. How can you make a movie centered around a boy? Even though we know later on what's going to happen. But is that any different from what we're seeing from here? Is that because I'm an adult now, I can't see myself as a 15-year-old or an 8-year-old back then? It could have worked. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think this story, though, Dune is it's such a rich mix of things, and it's really confusing. I, I had trouble. Again, I, I watched it with Monty and Joe, the movie, and I was like, I hate this because it's making me work for the answers. Don't judge the book on the movie. This. You know what I mean? I mean, this is my introduction. I dipped my toe into the movie, the Dune movie of 1984, and I was like, oh, this story is just, it's too much story for one short uh, two-hour movie-ish, and it, it didn't give, and, and the thing is that if you want it, though, the, here are the, the, the vittles, here are the, the, the wonderful secrets and the, the tale, go find it, you know, and the more work you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it, but to just understand it, the idea is that the movie is just the teaser. Uh, yep. You have to read the book to get yeah, the whole like, thing out of it. It's more beneficial if you've, if you've read Dune before watching the 80s adaptation of it. Um, Which was Joe's experience, yes. I think. Yeah. Do you want to jump in, Joe? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Dune, as um, Gene just said, it's a mix of different experiences. One could say melange. But um, the overriding issues that I saw with the book, I'm not going, it's one of those books, it's designed to make you think. When Herbert wrote this, he was doing uh, commentary on a lot of different things at the same time. He just wrapped it up in a coming-of-age story. Uh, we have politics, we have the human condition, we have humanity's effect on ecology, which I thought was masterfully done in the book i mean all the all the different considerations within it just the, the entire concept of water the way he honed in with just water and with spice being this singular thing that if you take it away the house of cards crumbles so i i guess that's what i really love about the book it's not one of those books you read once and then put it away and never touch it again yeah, it's I almost think, like it was designed to be reread. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it is, it is. What I was going to say is I think I'll bring that back to this point in that it's important for Paul to be this young, to be 15, because at like the, the radical change that he's experiencing on like a galaxy-spanning level is something that a 15-year-old is going to like feel more intensely, but also going to get a, like mold into it 
um, like significantly faster. Like he, the, he adapts to it in a way that somebody older probably wouldn't, but he also kind of, he doesn't have like years of perspective to really like have the fortitude. He only has his mental training. So later on, as you see, like the weight of being a Messiah, like really weigh on him, like really affect him. Um, remembering that it all began when he was just a child, I think kind of causes long-term impact to his character. And let me see. Next to that point, um, yeah. one of the things that I, I caught at the very end, there's not a whole lot of, of Paul in, in the in book one. Literally, you know, there's the, the book test, I mean, the box test. <laughs> um, and then he has this conversation with his father about the move to Cal- uh, from Caledon to Dune. And he's just kind of in the background for most of the time. But when towards the end of book one, he kind of snaps at his mother. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like that moment that when you stand up to your own parent, like I'm not saying like it's abusive, but I'm just like, there will come to be a point in which you realize how flawed they are. Yeah. And he kind of talks down to his mom, but to the point where you brought me here to Arrakis. Now I'm addicted to to the spice and I can't leave, but you kind of knew that this was going to be your plan. So even though she kept saying, I did this for, for, for my, for my Duke. And I did this for out of love for him to have a, a, a male child. He's kind of seeing behind the scenes, like and calling her out. Yeah. And that's the thing that kind of like drew me really hard that that was a, that moment of him becoming that first up to be an adult of just not going along with yeah what being told, but I'm like, no, no, no. let me tell you what I see. <laughs> and then that's the moment I'm like, there's the beginnings of Paul more really getting to be his own person. So I see there's this really dramatic shift from the beginning of the story to that first part of book one to really like, and again, I've missed that, that moment, just seeing that transformation in this book in a very long time, but it hit me hard. So it's really interesting to see that. Yeah, maybe the 15 may not be the ideal, but you get to that point in your life, you're going to have that moment, whether you're 15, 16, 17, whatever, you're going to make that dramatic stand. So mm-hmm. anyone can relate to that. So that's why I think it would work. Yeah, the, the moment you realize your parents are flawed and maybe their choices were not... Right. In your best right. interest. Yeah, quite, quite as perfect as they made it out to be. Yeah. yeah. All right. So um, this one Later. I think we can... <laughs> Traitor! <laughs> we learned about that on page 25. So I kind of I want to talk about Loyal the movie. wife. He's like, I want her back. All right, wait, Heather, Heather, I'm, I'm going to let you lose in one second because I kind of want to take this back to like the decisions that they made in the movie. Um, I'm going to read this really quick. We learn immediately yeah. that Dr. Yue is a traitor against the, the family. I'm not going to... I mispronounce a lot of things, so if I skip something, no question. Nobody pronounced anything. <laughs> he pronounced like, three different ways. A trades? Uh, why do you think Frank <laughs> Herbert revealed this piece of information early to the reader rather than just surprises with it? Um, and I kind of want to tie this into like the the way that like character the different character perspectives and the way that they tried to adapt that into the movie because Heather and I were talking about this I think even with Jean like right before we started. Um, so okay, Heather, go off. <laughs> so much internal monologue. 
<laughs> we know what everybody is doing and what everybody is thinking. So instead of allowing us to, as readers or the audience, to form our own opinion, we're basically being given in the movie. Yeah. Insight. I feel like I'm being initiated into this very cool club where I get to decide what I feel about it. I like Yui. I know he's a villain. I don't care. I love villains. I do. Because I see them as being more complex. Yui, it's not that he doesn't want to be loyal, because if he really... It it feels like, in a way, he doesn't have a choice, but in, a, in another perspective, I feel like he did choose. He chose his wife, and he chose himself. Um, he, and, and in the end, he basically says, you know, I'm still going to try and, you know, be a little bit honorable and do the right thing. But he, honestly, he was put in a tough situation where he, he was like, I, I want, I want the person I'm supposed to be with for the rest of my life back. And this is the only way I feel like I can do it. And I'm being made out to be this horrible villain. And I feel so guilty. Um, and that's why I love him because he's complex. He's rich. I love that angst. I love that sweet, sweet angst. <laughs> Yeah, Yuri's definitely one of the great tragic characters here. He was trained to save lives. That's he's like um uh in a weird way the the whole uh soup school conditioning is the ultimate Hippocratic oath to mm -hmm. do no harm. But as the Baron says later in the book, well when when you hear about the the traitor, he goes, if you find the right lever, you can move any world. And he found the correct lever which was Huey's love for his wife. Yeah. Who he did all of this in order to find out whether she was still alive because he had no idea. And <clears throat> of course, Huey understood who was around him. He has Sulfur, who's a mentat, who's constantly looking for, for possible uh, threats to the Atreides family. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, Huey would be suspected first, but that magic soup uh, school conditioning gives him the free ticket. It's like, no, it can't be him. He's been conditioned. He can he can even operate on the on the emperor without any issue. And then, um, what do you call it? Around Jessica, he has to be as careful as well, because Jessica's trained in minutia, in able to see um, into one's thoughts, different things about yeah, some of thoughts or feelings, or just by the, the most subtle of moments and conditions. And he even has those fears and trepidations within it. When you read his uh, about him within the book, it's like, oh no. She suspects me. Da 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 da. And then and then she confuses it for something else about his utter vehement and hatred of the Harkonnens. And you probably unfortunately the one who's made. I'm sorry. I was gonna say the one who made probably the the worst choice. Sadly, is the uh, the Duke Duke Leto, mm -hmm. because Duke Leto didn't think anybody who hated the Harkonnens that much would do him harm. There was a problem. <laughs> But yeah, Duke Leto, they all know they're going into a trap when they go to the planet. They, they all, do. Everyone they knows everything already. They basically get told. And actually, Eugene, I'm going to like bring that back to something that Heather said, um, where it's like, I think part of the reason that I admire it is and like the perspective change and the fact that like they're basically told like your dad's about to die. Like this empire right. is about to like slip through your fingers. Like you need to prepare for the worst. You need to prepare for catastrophe is that like that's kind of the same the way that the book operates is in that it's giving you all this information it's telling you like this is your hero this is the mom this is the traitor this is 
like it's giving you all this information and then like heather said it's letting you come to your own conclusion it's not saying it's not like limiting it to one perspective because one person is going to say oh that's not right that's not justifiable instead it's telling you this is why they did it whether or not you think is justifiable is up to you which is also kind of how it tackles some of the like concepts about ecology and power and religion it's saying like this is this is what's going on this is why people are doing this do you think it's noble or do you think it's doomed or all these things um right. yeah i feel like yui in a way i feel like he is justifiable i don't feel like he's going through over his hippocratic oath because just like you're on a plane if a plane is falling you're supposed to put that mask on yourself before you help someone else <laughs> feels so crappy about himself and his situation and he's freaking out he's not going to be able to give anybody else care and in the end he still kind of tries in his weird way to get like to have his pie and eat it too he, it's a very flawed choice but it's an understandable yeah, he's, he i i understand him and i still think like although he's making bad choices in the same way i feel like in the end he's just like he knows he's gonna get found out and he's trying to figure out how he's going to handle that itself. But I feel like I, I like, I like a man who's, who's like, my wife comes first. <laughs> well, okay. And so like in the book, um, like that introspection is kind of important to like getting to understand these characters, which is why I understand why the movie felt the need to add in that voiceover as terrible as it was. <laughs> oh, so like as a kind of roundabout way to like, bring that back to adaptation like do you think do you think you can convey like the same character without that voiceover because like i don't think the new movie is gonna have that no so, uh, i think they're gonna like showcase that i was gonna say like if you know blade runner that movie has one narration one voice of from for deckard and then ridley scott redid his movie and took out the narration and it still because works. Because I've seen that movie so many times, I still heard him in my head throughout every, the whole part of the movie. As far as the inner monologue, to have multiple characters like they did in Dune, I don't think would be necessary to just have that moment. Yeah, it's you're gonna one thing to do it in the book because you're, you're given that... that That's that the medium, yeah. ...in their heads. It's another thing when you have a different medium, like a movie, you just need to convey the exact same moment in a different way, not literal, literal through to have inner monologues. So. Yeah, because their picture is already being painted for you from the fact that it is just a film. Right. Where in the book, you, I feel like this is adding to like your visual image that you're creating in your head when you're reading. So I, I think they'll leave out the internal monologue completely, and we won't know Yui's a traitor until he actually does something. So you don't think they'll try and find a way to convey the same information, but like... I Without the dialogue of him like chatting with the Harkonnens and being threatened, hopefully not in the bad way. <laughs> like they won't have terrible exposition. Like this is my prediction. Like you'll you'll be given that insight as an audience in a different way. I don't think we'll hear you as so many. Will still be there. You think? I don't think there will be as much. I don't think there will be an internal monologue. You will know that Paul Atreides is in pain just by his facial expressions right. and his. Screaming! Ow! He you will know that Jessica is relieved just by her pain. There's a, a a moment in the book in which Dr. Yui gives Paul the OC Bible. 
right. and he wants him to read a certain passage because it's Dr. my Yuki. favorite passage and it right that's how you convey the the hatred he has that's underlying about the Harkonnens mm-hmm. that should be in this movie yeah because him saying well telling delayed Jessica you don't know about my wife but she you know I don't we have like not great history with them but that moment with Paul and Dr. Huey I think that really does a better job to underpin something about his background to demonstrate something triggered with him reading his favorite yeah. passage. Yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah, you can do a lot just from the little bits that are given. So let's see. I think the next question is about the Harkonnens. Yeah. Oh no, it's not. Okay. Um, this one's kind of a broad question about like themes and stuff. The Freeman hoped to change Arrakis from a desert planet to a lush paradise. The scarcity of water could make that change a substantial improvement for humans, but deadly for the native sandworms who reside within the planet. Of what we've read so far, is human influence on the ecology a noble cause or a destructive one? And I'll go ahead and I'll point out that like the book, I think, does not give any definitive answers. Yeah. Um, it's basically like, this are the Freeman, this is what they want, this is what might happen. Um, and it lets you kind of decide from like extrapolate your own conclusion from that information. So um, I think as Joe was pointing out, like the, the influence human influence over ecology was something that Frank Herbert was clearly very interested in. Um, And something that I think for obvious reasons makes the book still very relevant um, in the modern era. So I don't know if yeah. anybody has any thoughts about that or if they want to expand on it. I think humans are destructive. Like, it, just in nature, we, we do a lot of pollution. And as we see in, like, in the film, I feel like I don't know if we can make an Arrakis a beautiful, lush planet and how it would change the people who live on Arrakis. How would it change the way the free men prize water and their religion yeah, the culture would change everything. However, I feel like them just being present is going to change everything. It's already like disruptive in some way. Yeah. It's hard to see one without the other. Yeah, like this might be a point we have to go back to later on, um, yeah. like through, like as we read the rest of the book. Um, but it, it was something I wanted to bring up now is like kind of like at the forefront of everyone's minds as you continue to read. Um, the freedom of the native people on the planet, correct? Yeah. Yes. And the Harkonnens yep. have been have been mining the planet for water for years. And then mm-hmm. the emperor decides, well, I'm going to give it over to the Atreides because I'm going to mess with them and and do this coup kind of thing. Right. But yeah, because the none Duke of them consider the freedom to be like important at all. Yeah. Which is weird to me. I'm like, but they've got stockpiles of water. And you know, that, that's actually an <laughs> interesting point because the Freeman, like, Arrakis is their planet, but it's yeah. also, like, the planet of the sandworms. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And, and the sandworms, like, if there's a massive ecological change and it just, it becomes, like, a, a green ocean-filled planet, like, they might not survive. They won't. Um, yeah, they, they outright will not survive. So, but then the freemen would be able to prosper and human massive human colonies could be established. So it was something that was also brought up at the last meeting where they're like, there's no aliens except the sandworms. 
So it's telling you like these creatures exist. They have as much presence in this planet, even more presence than the humans do, but they're seen as an obstacle rather than like rifle residents. And in a way they are a more more of an obstacle because the the worms or the makers produce the spice, which everybody's addicted to. If you get rid of the worms, people die. But without water, you also die. So it's like a toss-up. I feel like it's a very you need to have balance. And if you don't have balance, everybody suffers. Okay. That's, that's the way the way the story is told because you're told about the Atreides, you're, you're you're introduced to the Arconans, and then the frame it, but the frame is of the native people on the planet, you know, <laughs> and they're not even taking right. into consideration. But they've got the the prophecy that the Bene Jesuits have been trying to, but the Bene Jesuits have been like, yeah, no, the Arconans and the Atreides. If if only you'd had a fe- a female heir, this would have all been fine. Well, they eventually wanted to produce a male heir but they wanted yeah, to he just he just showed up like a generation earlier than expected that, yeah. and they were not prepared yeah. for this because they've been laying seeds forever but i feel like the Bene Gesserits knew all along that the freemen held all the power because they were like the majority but the freemen's have the they, them yeah. the they can control the world mm, but okay. if i could uh interject for a moment um we have to remember with Leah Kine and uh, the whole idea of using people as an uh, ecological force in that manner, instead of being destructive, to be constructive. And the, the fact that they're, they even say it in the book, I forgot the term that they used, but simply put, it was the, the people who are ready to stretch out and grab something, but have patience to wait as long as it takes to be able to have it. And the, the whole concept of like, turning part of the world as a paradise for humanity and part of the world as remaining deep desert for the sandworms so that you have that balance. Um, I, I think that uh, that's one of the deeper themes within the, the entire book, this concept of a dynamic uh, equilibrium where you have to have that balance of do you have enough water to be able to live or do you have enough spice to be able to live? Mm-hmm. So you and would argue that, that the book is calling for equilibrium. It's, it's calling for that balance. It's calling for a better balance. Okay. I, I think that's the best way to put it. Like the current Very balance diplomatic. of the is not working. <laughs> yeah. We basically, we need the Atreides to restore balance. If they're not in the picture, the Harkonnens well, are going to continue. Heather wants to make an Avatar reference. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I see it. <laughs> okay. she's, doing, she's stopping herself short. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. Ah. All right. Okay. No, no, don't no. no. Well, simply put it, no, just okay. get the deeper scene, but please continue. Well, um, I actually don't really have like a definitive opinion on the Harkonnens. At least not yet. Um, I know, I know. Heather's really offended. I'm saying this to bait you. They're gross. That's, you know, <laughs> when you had Sting, they're sexy. They're I don't really know, just... gross in the movie in a way I was not expecting. I'm still traumatized. <laughs> I cannot believe you guys did that to me. Guys, like face Oh. God, like so many, and that acting is a like condition. A it doesn't make you evil, or does it? Anyway, <laughs> this was a question that Heather had originally. I, I think I basically left it intact. Um, of what is your impression of the Harkonnen so far? Are they just evil? Are their actions so far justifiable? Like, what do you think? What's your opinion on our our big baddies? 
Yeah, if you were to like see them from a different perspective and read from their storyline and not the other and hear their like villainous cackle and their floating evil, which they you know, there's definitely like I think they that. are evil, but would you if you saw from their perspective, would you just write them off and be like, "Nope, they're the villain of the story." They're, they're worse. They're they're rich and they feel entitled. Yeah, that's kind of how I see it. They're like, oh, this is the way it is. We've got all these powers. We've been ruling this, and the Emperor's made a deal with us, and we're just going to crush the Arconians, and it'll be great. And we'll be back in power, and, you know. But But in a way, just like the Atreides, they just want to do what's best for their house. And if that means, like, climbing the ladder and crushing people before they're able to climb past you, they is that really a noble right. cause? Is is it inherently a noble cause to like want to do? Yeah, but but is but I think it's I think it's value neutral, like in terms of morality. Yeah, like I know they're evil because I've read enough. Um, <laughs> 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 I'm just like well, okay, <laughs> conclusion <laughs> reached. That, that's how evil works. <laughs> I've far enough. I, I've come to my conclusion. Um, but when you're first learning about them, is there any part of you that's just like, I don't know, does this automatically make you a bad person just because you have acne, you happen to have red hair, does this make you soulless? You're still going off the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, there's a thing, yeah. Interest, basically, though. The self-profit and just keep their wealth and keep their power. It is all about self-concerned about, you yeah. know? But they're not about helping the universe. I mean, they're worried about how the guild and everyone's going to see them, kind of, but it's not important to them. They just have their plans. Yeah, I think you can find traits admirable, but still say that they're kind of evil. Like, anyways, Monty, do you want to say something? Yeah, there was a thing, and I'm not sure, because I'm watching so many different things. (laughs) Um, Like, the universe has a place for everything, and everything has a place. And they're seeing themselves like, no, we're here, Fremen are here. Here's our place, and that's their place. Yeah, it's always been like that. Would you have good? Would you have like noble and justifiable characters without villains? Is there any redeeming qualities in the Harkonnens? I think that. Why was the bad planning surprise? A big um, thing. Paul reveals you're Harkonnen or Harkonnen. We want to go with the traditional way of the pronouncing Harkonnen. I like Harkonnen. That's how they said in the movie. (laughs) Harkonnen has no M to this. <laughs> I like Harkonnen. Harkonnen. Um, but let the fact that Lady Jessica is the daughter of, uh, the, um, of the Baron, obviously it's about enculturation. How you were raised does not make you evil. Mm-hmm. So she's really Harkonnen, but she's not evil. Her dad... You know, he kind of is the way how he acts and how he just treats the world around him. So, again, it's like you can have, you know, Luke Skywalker, who is the son of Darth Vader, who is still good. And, you know, Darth is not all that bad. So there's always good and and everything. Mm -hmm. But it's just a matter of how you look at someone's background. Yeah. And the choices they make. And the choices you make, right, exactly. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like the Harkonnens are important to the storyline because we wouldn't be well, yeah, of course. with Yui's actions if we didn't have that baseline <coughs> of this is this is the true villain, this is the bad guy. Yeah. Well I like to see that I always just saw the Harkonnens as a dark reflection of us. 
Yeah, the worst. There's no people. It's just that they are they're the ones who give into their base in nature. And also, I mean, if you were to write about getting the Harkonnen's perspective, <clears throat> this is them finally getting vengeance on the Atreides for the betrayal. Yeah. That's, that's their agree. motivating factor. Yeah, that's that in a way is their like noble cause. I want to do right by me. I want to do right by my family. Right, because I was wrong. And it's uh, um I, I just thought it was interesting because I'd have to bring references to the, the books that are not written by Frank Herbert, the Brian <laughs> Herbert and Timothy Anderson books, because they give more perspective on that. Because they talk back to the, the Bulgarian Jihad and what happened. Not missing you. Yeah, I know. From the so, Brian Herbert. It, it, gives, it, gives the, it gives the finer point as to why the Harkonnens became who they became. Because originally, they were not like this. They were much mm -hmm. like the Atreides. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were um, a noble house who had uh, a higher standard of morality. But yeah. then again, um, again, the concept of nobility. It, it's like, do, do we have the... Shall we say the? I wouldn't say fairytale notion, but the um, the real world notion of what ability is, or or, or the idealized version of ability, because yeah. I, I see that as being those reflections. Like uh, the Atreides are idealized, while the Harkonnens are more what we would consider to be realistic. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, These are what we want to be. The Harkonnens are what we are. So since we only have half an hour right. left, uh, I really only had two questions, uh, but we can skip them. I don't know if Monty had something else that you might need the last half hour for. No, we still we're good. Time. We can keep we're going. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> over. Continue. Oh, we're good. All right, because like I said, there's only two more questions. Um, so the other one, like I like uh, Heather was asking earlier, who your favorite character is, and despite the flaws i think and to some extent even like the level of short-sightedness that some of her choices are um i do really admire lady jessica and so i'm just going to read this really quick uh lady jessica's choice to defy orders and bear a son rather than a house uh that rather than a daughter sets into motion the plot of the novel as a Bene Gesserit, she has profound influence and great abilities is she powerful because of those abilities in spite of them or not at all and I guess powerful, I mean it in like a very broad sense of the word, like what what makes her character. Yeah, yeah. like what, what defines her and um, to some extent, like that power that we see in her and that we see in Paul, like do you, do you think it's only because of their abilities or do you tie it into who they are as people, like the choices that they make? Um, just what do you guys think? I, I like Lady Jessica a lot. I like the fact that she loves the Baron so uh, that they, she loves the Duke so much. She gives him a son for the love. She's a loving, careful character. You know what I mean? That's her choice to do that, and, uh, and it, I think it's a pure choice. So I, I like her character a lot. Yeah, and another side was she also like as much as she loves Paul and she loves the Duke, um, she does put him in harm's way. And as Monty points out, it's something that like. Paul calls her out on and says, like, you, like, you did this to me. Um, but does that, like, does that in any way, like, shape the way that you see her character? Do you think she's just a flawed, like, mother? Or is it, like, maybe her actions are justified in the end? I feel like because she, she had to make such a choice 
whether or not she wanted to, you know, have a child or have a, a male heir for, for the Duke, I think that makes her, a, I feel like I appreciate her more as a character. I feel like even in the books, what I mean by like, not at all, can she be replaced by like a potted plant and you wouldn't notice and the storyline wouldn't be affected. Like if you were to remove her character, no. do you think the storyline <laughs> makes sense? And absolutely not because she sets everything into motion. Right. She is the reason Paul is here and we're reading from his perspective and things are going down. Do you think the same story would go down if she had a daughter? Do you think they would have, no. you think they would. And she later does have a daughter and it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> but do you think they would. I use the word creepy. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <And> no <laughs> doubt. They're synonyms. <laughs> Drinks the water of life and comes fully born. I'm like. Oh God. I love her daughter. Like the whole family is just. You should it's wait until the later books and then make that comment. But like. <laughs> Spoilers. Just keep reading. Just keep reading. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, But I feel like, um, do you think that like she's responsible for the Duke's death because her daughter supposedly before Paul who becomes the Kwisette Hatteras or Moadib or whatever was supposed to unite the houses was supposed to stop this feud and the Reverend Mother even like approaches her and is all like yeah, you you threw you all our up, plans. Yeah. Did you did you, uh-huh. did you f up? Did you really do this? We could have solved everything. I know you took the power away from us, and now we can't help you. It's all on you. She's she, been. I think she even asks, like, "Oh, like, did you do this out of love, or did you do it out of pride? Like, did you think you could bear yeah. the Messiah rather than just like the next stepping stone? Did you um, think you do this on your own?" And. Like, to some extent, I want to say, like, that arrogance that you see in Paul is definitely in Jessica. Yeah. I feel like Jessica is the queen on the chessboard. She really is. She she might not be making all the moves all at once, but it really, without her, we wouldn't be... We don't have this plot. Yeah, like, we don't have this story. We wouldn't have this angst. Yeah. We wouldn't Well, actually, so far, do you guys have a favorite character? Like, I feel like my characters evolve throughout the the series. I really, uh, at first, I'm all like with Dr. Yui. I'm just like, <laughs> that's your man. <laughs> that's why I love him. And then it changes when he, things happen. Jean, Joe, Nancy, anyone? I, I like Lady Jessica. Uh, I, yes. I, I like Paul. I, it's hard not to like Paul because Paul's like the chosen one. That's true. <laughs> he's Neo. He's, he's Luke my Scott, little baby he's boy. All these, these heroes, you know what I mean? And he's destined to be it from the beginning, you know? And he's just discovering as we all are. And yet I have to go through the minutia and the weirdness of like, all right, so it's this way in the movie, but it's different in the book. And, you know, and then there's different interpretations from the movies and TV shows. But I, I don't know. I, I do respect Lady Jessica quite a bit. I, I think she is. Good. You know, and, and plus, she's going to be played by Rebecca Ferguson in the next movie. You <laughs> not like Rebecca Ferguson? She's amazing. Well, if we're going by actors, I have—they're all my favorite characters. <laughs> uh, Ooh, I never thought about that. I like—I like Zendaya. I'd say Paul. Yeah. And Duncan. Paul, yeah. Nancy says Paul. Paul's her favorite. Paul and Duncan. Duncan. Oh, I like—I like the. <laughs> 
Swordmaster and the, Swordmaster of the poet bard fighter. Yeah. I think I choice. we can't forget about Duncan. Shawnee in the movies, uh, she's going to be, I feel like she's going to be such a more strong character um, than the, like the first adaptation of the film. And I look forward to seeing how she changes and evolves. I'm really excited for the new movie. I think my, my favorite character will change. Yeah. And Joe, do you have a favorite character? Actually, I like all of them. Uh, probably my favorite with all that said and done would have probably been uh, the old Duke Leto. Ooh, nice. He's the one who had to go through all these the different things. It's sort of like he's the one who's like, um, he goes, I know I'm going into a trap. I know I'm doing this to okay. better my family. And the fact that he's willing to sacrifice everything in order to do it. Yeah, that, that also, yeah. I think, in I'm a way. Like, yeah, and, and then I want to see more gravitas uh, Oscar Isaac brings to the character. That's what I want. It's like the only character, I mean, the only character I would have loved to have seen play the, the character more, if he were younger, uh, would have probably been Morgan Freeman. <laughs> it's only to bring more gravitas to him. But, uh, but no, well, now that's I, a picture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, wait, oh, I can see it. <laughs> but yeah, what about you, you Mark? Um, I left you for last, just in case. Because mm-hmm. he's going to throw a curveball at us. No, 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 no. It's going to be like the Baron. But <laughs> as we're talking about this, and I'm and with my reading, I'm like, there's a lot more to Lady Jessica than the movie got to even portray. Lady Jessica and, team. And I know that Denny planned to have more things for Lady Jessica to do on screen. Mm-hmm. And as far as in doing story, which is nothing like whole new scenes. It's like no, there's there moments there's everything. Yeah, I'm in the right book. Now. You're just going to present that, so that's going to give her a lot more of the sure. discussion of why we kind of see Lady Jessica being a little bit okay, more a background character. Sorry, guys, I'm due on the desk. Okay. Bye, Nancy. All right. Thank you, Nancy. Bye, bye. Bye. Um, one of the things that, as I'm reading this and going through this, you know, uh, Moham, was it Moham? Yeah. You know, you really thought you can do this, to have the the, the quiz out Sutterak that you can control. And it was like, in, in a lot of ways, even though she's not saying this and we don't see here and hear this, I know that she is probably saying, no, I got this. Yeah. I can do this. <laughs> that was my impression. Right. I don't have to like tell you that's what I plan all along. Because of the fact that they wanted to control the, the quiz, et cetera, what better way than just like, no, I got this. I'll raise the child of my own. I'm the one who's pulling the strings now. So, again, there's a lot more to Lady Jessica than what we get to really see on that big screen. In that movie, yeah. What shows. She definitely has plans within plans. Yeah, she's powerful. She's a powerful person. <laughs> you'll see her power evolve, and then you'll be like, "Can you? Can you? Can you handle all these tests?" Because in a way, we're seeing Paul being tested, but throughout the entire book, Jessica is being tested. Yeah, you well, make because Paul passes because of Jessica, because of the teachings that he's given by her. Yeah. So, like, yeah. She's not saying, you know, I did this on purpose. Like, no, no, no. I just want to give him a son. No, you knew no. what you were doing, Jessica. BS, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me that. 
Well, should have flipped her hair. <laughs> I just interject one last thing though. I mean, for all the love of Jessica and everything else, and I do love her as a character. I thought she was amazing. Think about this with Lido, that he inspired that much love in her for her to defy yeah. her orders. So that must show how amazing Lido was yeah. to make her make that decision. So it's like I will give you that okay. because she does say. I can easily whisper anything to him and he will do anything I'll say with my, I can bend him easily, but I choose not to. The knee. So, yeah. You're right. Bend the knee. She could have. Uh, she could have. <laughs> All right. So the very last question is what scenes from the book did you imagine and, or would like to see in the new movie coming out in now 2021? So anything specific? Because to me, any, any, any like sandworm writing scenes, I think are going to be amazing. Like Heather's yeah, I want to see inside the sandworm. I want to see the fiery inferno. I want to, like part of me doesn't because it's all like what's behind the curtain, that horrible, you know, horror scene. It's more haunting to us to fear for the character rather than to see the monster. But another part of me is like, no, I want to see the sandworm. <clears throat> but uh, I want to see it in IMAX. Um, other particular, yeah, yeah. I want to see a lot of Alia. I want to yeah. see her. Her character is so rich, and I want to see her interacting with Lady Jessica a little bit more as she grows up. <laughs> Joe, are you going to add something? Oh, of course. Uh, actually, one thing that I really would like to see would be the full version of the interaction between Lady Jessica and the shout-out mate. Ooh, you know, okay. That was one of the more fun scenes at the beginning of the book when they're discussing the, where everything has to be put and, and uh, the shirting of the way and all those other wonderful little bits when she gets the, the Chris knife. And uh, I always thought that was such a cool scene and I'm like, gee, you're getting two seconds of it in the Lynch movie. Hello, mm -hmm. but all right. Uh, another scene that I definitely want to see and I think they're going to have in the movie is uh, the knife fight between uh, Paul and... Yes! <laughs> scene. Because uh, I think that's the scene where he finally is a full adult. Mm -hmm. When he has that... Showcases, has, uh, yeah. Right. That's when he's like saying, okay, I'm no longer a boy. I, I, I've taken away all those responsibilities. I'm not a man. I have to take care of my responsibilities. And it, it's like, okay, you, 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 can't, you have to let, uh, let go of your childish ways, so to speak. I would just like the shields, like, speaking of fight scenes, I would like the shields done well, because I don't know what that was. Mm. That was the <laughs> bad. Yeah, yeah. Why That's are they cool. so blocky? It's the blurry. I, I love how they, like, they took the weirding way. I would love to see that translated into the new movie, like, correctly, instead of just this, like... Weird and the look. thing is, like, because I, I watched the, uh, the dude who, who did the, like, adaptation review. He was like, do you know how much cheaper it was to be book accurate? Because, like, they're supposed to be just, like, a shimmer. And instead, they like superimpose this like just huge block all over them. So you can't even see what's happening. Yeah, you could see how hard that movie tried, and you'd be like, uh, "Why, David Lynch?" It was cringeworthy. It was. It was so fantastic, and you were just like, "Beautiful." Stop. Yeah. Stop. All right. So, Gene, is there any like? Because I don't know if you got to finish. I just want an honest adaptation of this thing. Like the first thing when they were doing the wording thing, the uh -huh. the voice thing. Monty took me like, "Okay, this isn't in the book." I'm like, Wait, "What?" 
I'm like, wait, wait, but that becomes really important in the movie. And I'm like, I just want to see the way this is supposed to be done. Because while reading the book, I'm like, okay, I have to unthink that scene and how that was imagined and presented. And now I have to interpret it in its own way. But I needed the movie as a guideline to see, because I have trouble imagining things sometimes about, you know, even when they're deeply described, like, wait, wait, what does that look like? I can't, well, before, I can't you, before you that. keep reading the book, just rewatch the trailer for the 2021. <laughs> right. Superimpose yeah, your brain into that. I, would like- I, I just need that. I just want it in context. Just, just please give me a, a better version. Because the book itself is so rich and has so many things in it. I'm just like, just do it right. So, you know, don't interfere with it. But we'll see. I don't know. Um, I'm, still, I'm still untangling the whole thing from movie to book, the interpretations. But I, I'm enjoying it, so remind me there was no description nothing about the navigators right other than not in the book <laughs> right no so other oh, than like paul wants to like look in on like when they're traveling it's like, oh i want to look at the navigators where we're flying i was like no, no no it's closed off to us we can't even you don't know what they look like so that's out of the question they are oz the, so if we get a version of that for the love of god <laughs> Don't do what you did in 1984 and make it look like that. Because that was disgusting. What was that thing? It was so inappropriate. I really want to know. Like, yeah. just, let's just do something different or maybe not. Keep to the book. I just, I just really want to know if that was like leftover concept art from some other crazy David Lynch movie. That, I mean, that, like- is, that sums up David Lynch right there. That yeah. navigator, that's David Lynch. And you're like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> Nobody asked for this. Nobody asked for half of that. Nobody needed the sting in a speedo. It was just like flaps. And you could and see then gonna walk out of 2021 or like the sequel, and she's gonna be like, no one was in a speedo, zero out of ten. It's it's unwatchable. <laughs> it's not as shock factor. I want something to shock me and be like, what? No. I, I I hope for some reason that they, they decide to maybe make a part three um, because I feel like the more time that they have to like explain little things, I think the better, but I don't know. We'll see. Cause like that movie has to have been really expensive to make. I don't have the budget like pulled yeah. up here somewhere. I don't know if they'll get to tackle more of the story, but so long as they cover the first book, I'm going to be. Yeah. I feel like the first, happy. I feel like the first book ends in a way where, I feel like it was wrapped up well. I, if they in, if, calls, in terms of Paul's story, you would definitely need movie three. May I just share with the class that I was watching the movie, and there's a, a scene where where uh, Paul and and Lady Jessica have just escaped, and they're on the ground, they're running around, and he's like, "I'm going to set off the, the the tumbler, whatever it is, the vibrating thing." Gosh, but if we walk without ribbon rhythm, we won't attract the worm. And it immediately flashed to my head. The Fat Fat Boy Slim song, "Weapon of Choice," that I've been listening to for years. That I had no idea that, that you have to make that edit now. From that movie, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" If you walk without rhythm, you won't attract the worm. Is from Dune. <laughs> you have to yep. make that edit now. Oh, uh, we have. That's how I got. Yeah. So. So we're gonna we're gonna on time. So let's go to our last part, which is memes. Our memes. <laughs> oh, you kept my. <laughs> yeah, I still kept it like down to real business. That's what it is. That's what we're all waiting for. Is that? 
I knew it. I knew I mean, it was the right yeah. choice. Baby Yoda gonna show up? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so the deck means the flow. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I really have to wonder who makes these. We do. People like us. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, oh my god. Oh no. So, has a blade named Sting. Has blade, comma. The Oxford comma, yes. Yeah. Punctuation matters. Yeah. Spice expands consciousness. <laughs> Space travel. I catch up Expectation versus reality. There's two That one's for you, yeah. For the ladies. And then this is definitely. Oh my god, I love this. <laughs> See, I told you. Oh, oh god, back, 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 back. So yeah, LinkedIn, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. And the Tinder one is hysterical. I know Tinder. <laughs> it's like the cutout, like showing the parts that matter, right? Yeah. Not his collarbone. <laughs> All right, and then of course, ah, uh, no, very appropriate. Jesus Christ! <laughs> the for, Obama. for Obama, for Trump, and of course. Boadib. Boadib. <laughs> Look at that crab size. And then this one I like. So we pad one. The forest does not awaken. The sleeper awakens. Uh. <laughs> My favorite line coming up. I'm not in the mood. <laughs> Mood's a thing for cattle and love play. <laughs> Can't stop quoting Patrick Stewart, can you? Yeah. Nope. And all I can see, all I can see is the past and the future. It's like, yeah. But I can do it while standing. Buddy, that's awful. Ooh, that's awful. <laughs> that's so accurate. <laughs> that is awful. Got the ring. Yay, the uh, ring. Uh, oh. All right. Now, of course... In today's environment, for sure, Paul will be wearing a mask. <laughs> well, we're too close. Oh my God. Make America. 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 <laughs> Not to get too political here, but yeah. I, in a non political way, I will say his yeah. face photoshopped perfectly into that. So <laughs> it looks. So, yeah, do, 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 do not try. <laughs> <laughs> Poor eyebrows. Caterpillar <laughs> brows. Poor eyebrow man. <laughs> oh. oh. One day I'll get this. Uh, we've got I'm doing the classic Jaws poster. That actually um, looks really cool. Yeah. And David Lynch said, make it slow. <laughs> Oh this one I love for for years. <laughs> I are doing class. I, I can. I can. Guys, I can show the shoe first. Little burrito. <laughs> and then one last <laughs> meme. <I> promise. That <laughs> <laughs> would be me if I was a reverend mother using the voice. Okay, last. 
We're all doing dorks. Yes. Yep. yep. So, thank you for joining us. Yes. And we are officially done with our first Dune book club. Of Good insight. One. I like everyone's thoughts, perspectives. Oh, congratulations. Yep. This was a Yay! long time coming and a long time planning. Mm-hmm. So, thank you to Feel the pride swelling your chest. Yes, thank uh, you for enduring the movie as I did. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to do it again two more times. Yeah. So. Woo-hoo. I promise yeah. the book, once the more you read, the easier it gets like to uh, really delve in. Uh-huh. Um, like I was saying, like just pick something that you really care about, like whether it's the theme or the character or the world building, and try and focus on that. Um, don't worry if you miss like aspects of it because we're enough nerds here that we can just fill in the blanks. Yeah. And, and of course, Gene, call us like you usually do either monkey or I, and we'll be happy to help you. Yes. yes. Again. If you need a, a Gene Sparks notes. And again. <laughs> yes. Oh, Monty, did you want to include like the tour.com? It will break down the, the link. I'll that send you- everyone the link for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, someone gave me a link for tour.com about even better breakdowns of each chapter, even more information about the Dune movie. So, I mean, it's a treasure trove of a lot of good, 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 good information. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Um, not that I'm promoting this, but this Handman series. It's not Just lean it forward. Yeah, perfect. So, Second part is done today, and they're moving on to book three next month. So, is anyone interested, or you know, someone who's interested in joining us, please let them know or let me know so I can get them on. Because that's the only way we'll get to have people joining us. Yeah, word of mouth. Just Gene and I and Melinda. <laughs> A little cluster of uh, people. So, any uh, final thoughts? I I'm glad you introduced me to this. Well, I hate you for it. Damn you, damn you, burn and hell, burn, burn. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's great. I, I am impressed with it. I, I, I am impressed with Herbert's world building. It's amazing, but it, you have to untangle it. You know, you have to do the work. What you put into it, what you understand of it is great, and it feeds the soul. It is a quotable thing. It is enjoyable, but it's such a, it's such a tome. It's such a thing to get through, but I, I'm coming around. It's, 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 we'll get yeah, it. I'm starting to enjoy it a bit. So. Through it, and then things will get weird. The real, yeah, did, the real Dune book club goal was to get Gene into it. Just yeah. <laughs> to have him at the that end of it. the three months. Was gonna be like, or to drive me insane. One of the two. <laughs> I don't know. We'll drive you so sane that you're insane. <laughs> Great. All right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Joe, any parting words? Any last words? Um, I enjoyed rereading the novel again, and I'm actually going to read Dune Messiah. And I'm like, oh, okay. As I think the first time I tried to read it, it, it just uh, threw me off. Because I'm like going, wait a minute. What do you mean Paul's not the hero? And then, oh, okay. <laughs> now that I'm, shall we say, at a point where I'm like, I can read it. I'm like, oh, I'm enjoying this. This is fun. Okay. Let's see what happens after. Okay. So we'll get to that point in our discussion to see if we want to continue with the book club going further with Doom. So, so we'll see. Okay. Um, Rebecca or Heather? I, I really like book three. 
I can't wait till y'all catch up to me. It gets real weird. It gets real weird. But I, I, I like this discussion. I think this is pretty great. Yeah. And yeah. John every single time. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say that well, I really like the group we've got here. So thank you everyone for your insight, for your enthusiasm, for the pain and suffering you're willing to put up with when you have to watch the movie. Like <laughs> yep, 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 yep. No. So many things about yeah. that movie. <laughs> Every day to serve that doesn't make any sense. Let alone make that into an action figure. That doesn't make sense either. <laughs> oh, wait, and you're going to show them yeah. off next time, right, Monty? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, so, again, we'll do this next month. And um, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And happy Thanksgiving. Everyone but the turkeys. Uh, yep. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Remember, Bye. stay socially distant. No. <laughs> Bye. 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 All right. So that's going to be the end of our Dune podcast, in which this is, again, just part one of our Dune podcast. Not giving up on the Dune podcast saying here. But again, if you got this far, thank you very much for listening to us talk about Dune. And again, I'll be releasing part two and three in the next couple of months. Also, remember, there is an extended version or an enhanced version, which will be on YouTube, in which you can actually see the presentation that I did, along with everyone else. So it's not just, what are they talking about? What are they looking at? I don't know. So don't forget to subscribe and hit the bell. I don't know. That's what they say, right? (laughs) All right. In any case, thank you very much for listening to us on the Monster Sci-Fi Show. It's sci-fi, from a certain point of view. Good night. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello everyone, Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. (laughs) Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Time to grab your pillow and join the Geek Father in Little Bit for discussions on current, nostalgic, and speculative happenings in pop culture. Nerd news, fandom histories, deep dive discussions, reviews, and more. It's like listening to your closest friends have a nerdy conversation. So sit back, relax, and let the Blurred Nerds podcast embrace you with their warm, goofy goodness. It's nerd goals for your ear holes, right here on the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.